Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We are not perfect people, but real people being made new. That means that Christians also have the capacity of hurting each other. Pastor Andy McGowan will talk about what the Bible has to say about this topic, when Christians let you down. Enjoy the message. This is the final week of Doubting God, and I, wanna, I want you to know it is normal for you to experience doubts at different parts of your life, different moments of your life. And I just want to bring a shout out. It is not uh, good for you to go through these doubts by yourself. And that's why it's important for you to do life, the Christian life, in community. If you haven't stepped into a city group, that is our life groups, that is our small groups, whatever, uh, that, whatever you know those as. They're called city groups here. Get into one. Join one. You can find that on our website, kenosha.church groups. All right. Today, we're going to close off the series, Doubting God, and perhaps there's no greater way for people to flee the things of God, to doubt the things of God, when the people of God hurt you. I want to share something that's so near and dear to my heart of a Christian who hurt me. And it's been okay to share this, okay? So it's not like, oh no, what's Andy going to do? Is this, this going to be juicy? Uh, this, when this Christian hurt me, it was at a very transformational point in my life. It was when I was in seminary. Uh, I was at a baseball game. Uh, and I don't remember much of the game because I remember the phone call I received during the game. I was at a Cubs game. They're taking on the Giants. I believe it was the seventh inning and the phone rang. And it was my dad. Uh, and he said, hey, Andy, I need to tell you something. Are you sitting down? And, of course, I was sitting down in the upper deck of Wrigley Field. I'm like, yeah, I'm sitting down. What are you going to tell me? And he said, Andy, I'm leaving your mom. I've already moved out, and I'm going to begin my new life. I hope you understand. And my dad moved out, and my life changed forever. I felt betrayed. I don't remember even who won the game. All I remember is that phone call. And I remember my dad saying something very peculiar on this phone call. He said, Andy, I hope that as we have two different families now that we can experience life together. Maybe even we can experience Christmas together this coming Christmas. And I remember thinking, how can we have togetherness when you're leaving? You can only have togetherness actually by forgiveness and reconciliation. And perhaps that's what you need today. Because every single person in this room, you've been hurt by somebody. Every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you've even been hurt by somebody who claims to be a follower of Christ. And every single person in this room, I want you to know, you've hurt somebody. So, who's it man? Maybe it's someone who's been harsh to you. Maybe it's been a Christian parent or spouse. Maybe they've left you or your, or your relationship with them has, has been hindered. Maybe a friend unfriended you. Maybe a, a Christian, they, they looked at you and, 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 and they, they judged you. Maybe they, they're the ideal Christian, but you look on Instagram and they're anything but a Christian. Maybe they espouse things on, on Sunday morning, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're anything but that Christian they are to be on Sunday morning. Maybe their hands are up, but their hands are down during the week. Doubt occurs in people's minds because the way that Christians can act. Your words matter. Your actions matter. Gossip 
matters. Being self-righteous matters because an outside world is looking from the outside into the church world, into the Christian lives, and they're saying, why do I need that? Why do I need what I see every day at the workplace or at the school or in the streets? You see, what people on the outside of the church world are looking at is they're looking for a difference. Our witness matters. Our lives matter, imperfect that they may be. And we need to strive, if you're a follower of Christ, to follow Christ in every way. Because you may be the only representation of Jesus that somebody who doesn't know Jesus will see. Our lives is to be one of worship, making much of Jesus, making it all about him. But yet, we can act very hypocritical at times, can't we? We all can. I can as well. But Jesus doesn't like it when people claim to be one thing and live another way. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, he reserved his harshest criticism for those whom he called hypocrites. In fact, let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. If you have your Bibles or uh, you have your Version Bible app or our Kenosha City Church app, turn there, Matthew chapter 23. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus brings about what is called the seven woes towards hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day. A woe. Whoa, it's not, an, it's not just an explanation of like, wow, look at what happened, whoa. Woe is a word that has fallen out of our English language. When you said, whoa, it was a gut-wrenching, I don't like what I see. It's reserved for deep grief. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, we see Jesus say, woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which are, appear beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees, they were part of a major Jewish religious order that thought the way that you get right with God is you adhere perfectly to the Old Testament law and perfectly to a religious order brought by uh, the Jewish rabbis, the law of tradition. This group was harsh towards people that did not keep the Old Testament laws and that did not keep the traditions of man. The Pharisees also sought to influence politics and instill their traditions into civil law. So much so, if you broke the Jewish tradition, you could be put to death even. They enjoyed the prestige and power they received by society. So when Jesus came onto the scene, he jumbled it all up. Uh, he wasn't seen as a friend of the, the religious order. Because yes, Jesus kept the Old Testament law perfectly because Jesus is perfect. But what he did not keep perfectly was the laws of man. You see, Jesus did not come to please man. He came to do the will of the Father. So Jesus didn't follow the, 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 the rules of the religious order for the sake of rebellion because... That's not why he came was just to be a rebel. Uh, no, he followed the law perfectly, the, the biblical law. He just did not follow the religious order perfectly. And this infuriated the Pharisees. And as a result, they looked for ways to trap Jesus, arrest him, and even kill him. And they finally were successful when they crucified him. And so Jesus declares to the religious leaders, I'm not impressed. You're hypocrites. Now, this word hypocrite, it derives from the Greek word, a term that people would use in the time as an actor, literally one who wears a mask. 
In other words, someone who pretends to be what they are not. In fact, the Bible uses it 17 times, and they're all by Jesus, and all in a corrective manner. In fact, Jesus is the one who coined the term hypocrite of something outside of the stage. The Bible calls hypocrisy a sin. It can take two forms, living your life differently than what you espouse, and secondly, looking down on others with what you do yourself. So Jesus describes specifically here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, he describes it as a whitewashed tomb. Now that's an interesting term. I don't think we use whitewashed tomb very often in our vernacular today. During the time of Jesus' teaching, people were coming into Jerusalem from all over the world. And the outside of the city was lined with tombs of those who had died and passed on. And during the year, the, the dust of the travelers on the road and the wind would kick up the dust and they would cling to the tombs outside the city. So during the Passover, people would clean the tombs and the graveyards to look clean and pristine as people entered the city. And it was ironic because no matter how you cleaned up a tomb, still lied beneath that was the corpse of the past individual. And that is Jesus' exact point. His point was this, you appear to be beautiful on the outside, but in the inside, there's an unclean corpse. Oh, the Pharisees got the analogy. I once met a man, he was very drunk. <laughs> How do you like the start of that story? I once met a man, he was very drunk, and he was screaming at everybody who was passing by, just screaming at them. And I don't know what it is, but when there's crazy people outside, they always pick me out from an audience. I think it's maybe you make eye contact. That's key number one. You don't want to be picked out in an audience? Don't make eye contact and smile. Oh, yeah, that's another thing I do. When I get nervous, I smile. And sometimes it's really inappropriate. People are telling me these things. I'm like, like, they're awful things. I'm like smiling. Like, what are you smiling for? I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Anybody eat smile when you're nervous? Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, so if, if you ever tell me something, I'm like, eh, I, I, I'm nervous, okay? So, and so this guy picks me out of the audience. I'm, I'm making eye contact with him. I'm probably smiling, and he's screaming at everybody. Now he's screaming at me, but what he said to me was absolutely crazy. He said, hey, you, quit yelling at me. And I'm like, I, I'm not yelling. I'm just, I'm smiling. I'm not yelling. Quit yelling at me. And finally, I made the mistake. I engaged the crazy. I said, look, man, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. Yes, you are. You're yelling at me. Oh, no, he's just drunk. You may not be drunk this morning. I hope you're never drunk. But when we are a hypocrite, we're drunk on ourselves and we fail to see what's going on in ourselves and we project it and apply it to somebody else. We are all at risk of this. We've all been guilty of saying one thing and living it out another way or judging people for the very thing that we're doing. And Jesus is very clear. Stop the act of self-righteousness. It is a whitewashed tomb. And we, we, we coin it this way. It's not one of our core values, but it's a, something you hear us say often here at Kenosha City Church. We want to take ourselves a lot less serious. And as a result, we want to take God very, very serious. You see, when you flip the equation and we take ourselves very serious, we get offended very easily. We kind of walk around with a little bit of pomp and Jesus is somewhere in the mix. Listen, we don't want Jesus to be somewhere in the mix. We want him to be right in front. We want to reflect Jesus and we want to say, you know what? We're going to take ourselves a lot less serious, right? Amen? Here's our main point this morning. A hypocritical life is born from a hypothetical faith. A hypocritical life is born from a hypothetical faith. 
The Pharisees were all about man-made religion, which is all about outward performance. And this is what Jesus was putting on notice. Religious people end up being very miserable, not free. And the reason is, is because they have to put together an act to make it look like they have everything together, and it's unsustainable. The only way to keep up the shred is to tear other people down to make yourself look better and to correct people to make yourself look more right. And people may be fooled by the charade, but God never is. To have a relationship with Jesus is not about just what you know. It's not just about how passionate you are in worship. It's not about how religious you look or act. Rather, what Jesus is interested in first is our heart. Is our heart. What's going on in the inside? You see, with the heart, the outside actions will flow. But religion mixes this up. It's about the outside without what's going on in the inside. And that's why a hypocritical life is born from a hypothetical faith. You can know things, but not actually activate it in your life. And when you're hurt by a Christian or, or church, this should not be a time to be fueled by doubt, but rather dependence upon Jesus Christ. You see, hypocrisy that is the very essence of why we hurt one another. And it's in this moment that we can say, you know what? I've been hurt by a Christian. I've been hurt by a church. I've been hurt by these different people. And people are walking around all hurt today. And what they're doing is they're projecting it on the church or they're projecting it on Jesus Christ as if they have the answers to their own hurt. Listen, when you're hurt, this is a moment not to run away from the church. This is a moment to lean into the things of God. So let's talk about hurt. Let's talk about when someone may have hurt you. It has happened to every single one of us. And the first thing we need to do is when we are hurt is not to look at the person who hurt us. It's first to look at ourselves and say, okay, what's going on in my life? So number one, when Christians hurt you, remember, Christians aren't Christ. You're not Christ. They're not Christ. Only Jesus is Christ. Christians are not perfect, and you are not perfect. When someone hurts you, it's easy to become the judge, jury, and executioner. It's easy to fall back on a self-righteous spirit to project your righteousness in order to condemn others. But what is needed is not self-righteousness. What is needed is one of a view of a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of Almighty God. When someone hurts you, it's important to realize first how much you and myself are all in need of Jesus. Jesus told the parable of of the Pharisee to remind us that sometimes we can think we have it all together, but we don't. We're not exempt from the problem. We're not exempt from the problem. We have to realize because we are not Christ, because we have sinned, we're in need of a rescue. First John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you see this? Did you see what the scripture clearly says? If we say that we're without sin, we will think that we are self-sufficient. But we have sinned. We continue to sin. And we are in continual need of our Savior to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. About 10 years ago, Allison and I took a train ride from London to Moscow, Russia. Wouldn't take this train ride today. Uh, went through all the way through Ukraine and through uh, Russia, and we were meeting some uh, uh, on the way. We got to see some sights, but we also got to uh, meet one of our 
our missionaries. And we spent a day in Prague. And one of the things I noticed in Prague was, was yes, they had beautiful red roof buildings, things like that. But what I noticed was that there were a number of beggars. And when you think of beggars, you think of somebody like in the United States standing on a, on a very well-traveled uh, intersection, people holding up signs and, and maybe engaging you saying, hey, do you have some money you can give? This isn't how the beggars acted in Prague. This is what the beggars did. They didn't say a word. They were... They took a posture of absolute dependence on, if you're going to give me something, you're going to put it in the cup. It's been burned in my memory for the last 10 years. Of That is precisely what each and every one of us are before the Almighty God. Before our Almighty God, we are so dependent upon him. In Prague, people would pass by the beggars and they wouldn't put anything in the cup. But I want you to know that when we acknowledge our ultimate dependence upon God, we get a proper view of ourselves and know this. When you go before him, knowing that we are nothing in ourselves, he will fill that cup. He will fill that cup each and every time to overflow. We have sinned and we continue to sin and this is not an excuse for us to continue as we are and sin as we want. But what First John is telling us is it's a reminder in our natural state, apart from Christ, we are helpless. It's humbling to know that we are helpless without Christ, doesn't it? It's humbling to know that, that without Jesus, we are without hope. It's humbling, isn't it? We want to be self-made. We, we want to prove ourselves to other people. And there may be people in your life this morning, you don't even know who you're trying to prove yourself to. But we're helpless without God. If we're helpless, where is there any place in our heart to boast, especially over other people's failures? Man, boasting over other people's failures, it's a whole industry today. It, it, it takes our headlines. It, it, we, have, we have whole channels called, you know, fail channels where you watch people literally, you know, botch a surfing or botch the skateboarding and they get injured or they fall off their bikes, Right? It used to be we'd watch videos of surfers doing amazing tricks and people doing amazing BMX tricks and, and amazing uh, accuracy of, uh, of doing the half pipe on the, uh, with the skateboard. But instead we're like, I don't want to watch someone do good. I want to watch somebody fail. And I believe it's because, yes, we can relate to the failures, but sometimes, oh, if we're really honest, the reason why we're drawn to other people's failures is to make ourselves feel just a little bit better about ourselves. Where is there any place in our hearts to boast of other people's failures? There is none. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say, I'm not better than you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you, right? Because without Christ, we're nothing. We're nothing. In our righteousness and power, we are powerless. We need the forgiveness of God. And the beauty of this is when we confess our sins, he fills our cup and we're without need. When we boast, we're like, oh man, you did amazing filling that cup. It wasn't me filling that cup. It was the Lord God Almighty. And when you realize who fills your cup, guess who gets all the boasting? Guess who gets all the fame? It's the Lord God Almighty, right? 
And so when we can boast in our failures, it's so that we can boast in the wonderful provision and salvation and relationship we can have in the Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. Amen? But a hypocritical life is born from a hypothetical faith. We're not exempt from the problem, but the awesome is, is that God rescues us from ourselves. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. The Apostle John writes to his congregants as a spiritual father. Little children. He writes to, com to comfort them. That they would strive in the power of Christ. Even though they have failed in their own sin. And when they do sin. And when you sin this morning. We have an advocate. The Lord God Almighty. You know a, a follower of Christ. Will naturally want to stray from the things of God. Can we admit that? Sometimes in our own self-righteousness, we want to say, oh, no, I have, I, have, I have overcome the temptation of sin in all my life. Right, 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 right. Okay, usually when someone says that, they're on the, they're on the precipice of actually sinning, okay? And you may have sinned because you may have lied, right? Here's the deal. We have an advocate. You will naturally want to stray from the things of God, but with the Spirit, we can be victorious. We will be victorious. So what happens when a follower of Christ sins? This is important because I believe a lot of people's closeness with the Lord has been hindered because there's undealt with sin that may be in their life this morning. Let me demonstrate it this way. There was a day when my youngest, I was Adam, Graham, he's lovable, he's cute, he'll smile on command unless you want to take a picture of him. But oh yeah, some days he has a bad day. And I came home and one day he had a bad day. He had enough of his older brother. It doesn't matter if his older brother is over half a decade older than him. He just gave him a pop one day. He's like, I've had enough of you. It was so much so that it kind of like knocked a wise. Like, what did he do? Right? And I'm like, you're, you're 11. Okay, so it doesn't matter. But he gave him a big old pop, five-year-old pop, like this. And so Allison's like, you wait till your dad gets home. You remember that, right? You're like, oh, no. You wait till your dad gets home. You sit on the edge of that bed and you wait for him. Well, then I got home. It was pretty quick. I got home, and there was Graham sitting at the edge of his bed. And I was like, what do you want to do? You should go in there and talk to him. I said, let's let him wait a little bit. Let him anticipate the dad. <laughs> then I forgot. <laughs> I was just like, Andy, you going to go in there? You, you, you forgot about him. I'm like, oh, you're right, an hour later. So I go in there, and I, and I go in there, and he's like, he looks at me, and he begins to just tear up. He's like, I know I did something wrong. He's like, you did do something wrong, right? And you know, here's the thing, is what was never at risk with Graham. Listen, his fellowship with his dad was a little off in that moment. It was off. But was, what never was at risk was this, him being my son. Ooh, we need, we need to take that in just a little bit, Right? By the way, I told him time served. I didn't have to do anything else. But time served, you can go. All right, so. But isn't that with us? 
When we sin and we know there's sin in our life, we don't know what to do with it. And sometimes we ignore it. We're like, why does God seem so far off? Why am I having doubts? It's because our fellowship with the Father has been hindered. Scripture says that not only is it hindered, but that we quench the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And ironically, it's in these moments we begin to doubt the promises of God. We begin to doubt the, the, the power of the Spirit. We begin to doubt even the, the, the mission that God's entrusted us with. Why? Because our fellowship has been hindered. And sin does hinder fellowship with the Father. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't break your, your son and daughtership before Almighty God. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need to go to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our advocate. The gospel is the good news. Jesus provides the way for us to be made right through the atoning sacrifice on the cross. The atonement is the reason, the payment, the result of Christ's death on the cross. Listen to this, 1 John 2, 2 again. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those in the whole world. So when you sin, go to the Father. Talk to him about it. That, that word atoning, it, it, comes from the, it comes from the word propitiation. It means to pay for something. When Christ went to the cross, he saw every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, and he paid for it. He said it's finished. He, he paid the bill. You don't need to go argue with him. I don't know if you paid the bill for this one. He did. He paid the bill on the cross. You just got to receive that forgiveness. But that word propitiation isn't just Jesus paying the bill saying, all right, get out of here, kid. I paid for it. No, it's not like that at all. It's not only a payment, but it's a reposition. I want you to know this. Some of you aren't living in the reposition. You're still living in the position that God doesn't like me. God is far away. I, and, and, you, and you're living hurt and hurting other people. I want you to know God died on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross not only to pay for your sins, but to reposition you as a son and daughter of the king. Listen, before you knew Jesus, you were an enemy of the cross, Scripture says. You're under the indictment of the wrath of God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said it is finished. When you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in him alone, he repositions you as a son and daughter, as forgiven, as favored. Some of us are living knowing we've been forgiven, but you are forgetting that you are favored. Oh, you are favored, church. You are favored by almighty God. And if you aren't a follower of Christ, you can step into that favor this morning. Receive him. The gospel makes what's impossible possible. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, you are born again. You are given a new heart to have new desires, to be more like Christ. But when people refuse to read scripture, when people refuse to spend time in prayer, when people refuse the Holy Spirit, when, 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 you won't grow. Man, I just, I just don't understand why I'm not growing. It's because you're not spending time with them. You're expected to grow in obedience towards Christ. You're expected to grow in grace, mercy, and truth. Yes, people will grow at different rates, but growth in Christ is the key. And the gospel makes growth possible. The gospel reminds us that we are in total dependence on Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, this is great, but what's this have to do with when someone hurt me? Everything. Everything, because when people hurt you, wrath and revenge is not the answer, but the grace of the gospel that was given to you by Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, the gospel will make your life different. You'll begin to breathe the ramifications of the gospel. 
This makes the actual, real, humble, grace-giving life a possibility that you can give to someone else. Without the ramifications of the gospel, you will approach people by the letter of the law, uh, by, by a condescending attitude, by, by a vengeful spirit. One where they will have to live as a hypocritical judge while they give a pass to themselves. But gospel people see the world different. They see amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. A hypocritical life is born from a hypothetical faith. When Christians hurt you, you must remember, Christians aren't Christ and neither are you. In order to address hurt from others, you must realize your need of the gospel first. We're in need of a rescue of the gospel. And this helps us remember when we've been wrong, that number two, uh, not to take things in your own hands. When you're hurt, don't take things in your own hands. You will take it in your own hands if you are not living out and remembering the ramifications of the gospel. When, you're, when Christians hurt you, remember, do not take things into your own hands. And this may be the hardest part of the message. Because somewhere in your life or somewhere in the future, somebody who claims Christ will hurt you and you're gonna wanna just let them have it immediately. And it's at this point where many people get it wrong. You know, after my dad left my mom, as the months went on, my heart wanted to have, a, have that family Christmas my dad talked about. But I knew the reality would be impossible if not inappropriate. You know, when that first Christmas rolled around, it was, I was glad to have it, but it was sad. I came home, I was in seminary. My brother at the time was in college. My sister was a senior in high school and we're sitting in the living room of, of a very familiar living room with my mom, but my dad was missing. And we began to open up presents and I was thankful and joyful to be there in that moment but I was also filled with a lot of sorrow and truth be told, a little bit of anger. As we're opening presents, something unexpected happened. The front door opened. It was dad. And he brought a ton of presents. He said, Merry Christmas, kids. It's time to have a family Christmas. And he went into the living room and I'm just shocked looking at him. We're all just kind of shocked and he begins to put presents underneath the tree. Ah. I, I, I didn't know what to say, but my brother did. My brother's here. I wasn't expecting you to be here when I was saying this. <laughs> my brother stood up and he said, uh-uh, this isn't happening. And he showed my dad the door. Now here's the deal. This is burned in my mind because often in life, when somebody hurts you or you hurt somebody, we want to just kind of gloss over it and say, you know what? Um, I want the cake and eat it too. Uh, you know what, I, I, I want it both ways. But you can't. It's pretend. That's not reality. So what do you do? What do you do in moments like that? You go to God first. You address the hurt with God first. Luke chapter 6, verse 28. Bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. How often, when we're wronged, do we go to God first? I'll tell you what most of us do. 
When someone says that something to you, when someone does that something to you, when something happens, you immediately get on your phone or you start texting and you go to your best friend. You go to that person that you trust. Like, Can you believe what they said? I cannot believe what they did. Oh, I'm going to let everybody know what they did. And you talk to everybody but the Lord. Everybody but the Lord. Oh, you want to tell people uh, everything that, that, that's going through your mind. But this is not what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to go to him first. Why? So that, <laughs> this is crazy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are mistreating you. The Lord wants you to do this because he knows, number one, he's the only way that things can be rectified. But secondly, he's looking after your own heart. Without going to God first, you will go down bitterness lane every single time. That Jesus laid out very clearly when someone has wronged you, what you're supposed to do. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says, if you're, listen to this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. There's a clear process of, of which you need to approach somebody who has hurt you. And this isn't a, oh, that was really just good wisdom, Jesus. Thanks, I'll consider it. No, this isn't optional. When someone has a grievance, they either go to God or they'll go to gossip. And Satan wins no matter how right you are if you go about it wrong. If you've been hurt... It doesn't mean you go into gossip mode. That will not fix anything. In fact, it gives Satan the leverage to divide and conquer. So many Christians today are preaching gossip more than they're preaching and living out the gospel. What Jesus tells us is not to take hurt into our own hands. Our way will be vengeful. I mean, biblical commentators, they state that the Jewish listeners, when they were hearing Jesus, say, hey, you need, uh, you need to pray uh, for those who mistreat you. You need to bless those who curse you. The Jewish, the Jewish people are like, I don't understand this. This makes no sense. He's talking crazy talk. Why would you ever do that? It was, it was totally against the culture of, of, of the day. And yet, Jesus said, we are not to take our own battles we're going to take our battles to the Lord. And that starts with going on our knees, not on our phone. In a world that has become very, very vindictive, Jesus' approach even today seems very counterintuitive, doesn't it? To pray for those who are mistreating us. Why would we ever waste our time? No, it's not wasting your time. We, do we believe in the God of miracles? Do we believe that God can do anything? That's why we need to get on our knees. That's why we need to listen to God and pray to God and let him work on our hearts first. When we do that, it protects our heart from bitterness, which will in turn make you a person that hurts others as well. Do you go to God first when you're hurt? Ask yourself that question. Do you go to him first? If not, whom or what do you go to first? Satan wants to grab your heart. We're going to do a whole series on not today, Satan. I'll just give you a little preview. Listen, here's the deal. When you take things in your own hands and you say, the Bible's optional, I'm going to do it this way instead of God's way this time, you are stepping into the dungeon of demons and you are beginning to follow them in their ways and it leads to nowhere good. We're to pray for those who hurt you. Does that mean that you become best friends for those that you're praying for? Absolutely not. Well, more on that in a moment. 
But we need to address the hurt with God first because it protects our heart and it invites God to do what we're incapable of doing in our own strength. And when you address the hurt with God first, secondly, it allows you to forgive. Did you know forgiveness is commanded? It's commanded in scripture. It's not dependent on the person or situation. You are to forgive. In fact, Jesus was once asked by Peter, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? I think Peter was asking this because he's like, I forgive them enough. I want Jesus to tell me what I want to hear. You know that when you ask people like advice you, and, and, and deep down you're like, I just want them to tell me what I want to hear, right? And then when they don't give you the advice you want, you're like, okay, thanks. I'm going to go find somebody else. Hey, uh, you know, how many times should I forgive? You didn't give me the answer. How many times should I, should I forgive? You've done it enough. <laughs> you're, the, you're so wise, right? How often do we do that? We shop around for the answer that we want. Listen, so Peter's going to Jesus thinking, all right, he's going to give me what I want to hear. And Jesus is like, oh, seven times? <laughs> Good job, Peter. Man, you're so kind. You're just so good. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, right? Right? Yeah. How about 77 times? Wait, what? Yeah, 77 times. That's how often you should forgive? <laughs> he wasn't expecting that. I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. I've bared my soul about my dad a number of times, and my dad told me, Andy, any time you could share my, li my life, so that it can warn others, but also lead others to Christ, do it. And he told me that because of this key moment. A few years after my dad left my mom, he was remarried. He began to have children. I have a, I have a brother who's 30 years younger than me. I have a sister who's 34 years younger than me. And at first I was upset about it, but I love him. I love him so much. But it was at this point when he began to have children, he realized conviction set in. And he called me. And he said, Andy, I've done wrong. I've wronged your mom. I've wronged you. I've wronged my whole family. I don't know what to do. I said, well, Dad, you're, you're remarried now. You, you've, your life is set to where, where you're going. You're just now seeing the damage trail. I, 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 Andy, I need you to forgive me. And I'm like, really? He wants me to forgive him? It's, it's that easy? I said, Dad, that's what was going on in my mind. I was like, Dad, you know what? I'll call you back. I hung up. And immediately, some of you have heard this before, immediately the voice of the Lord said, it's a good thing, Andy, you're not the savior of the world. You'd make a lousy savior. Because the grace that Jesus gave me and the grace that Jesus gave you, I was unwilling to give to my own father. So I picked up that phone and I said, Dad, had a moment with the Lord and I realized how hard it is in my flesh I forgive you. And there it began a long process. When we realize the depths of how Jesus gave, uh, forgave us, it makes us realize how we can be someone, how can we be someone who withholds forgiveness towards others? You know, forgiveness does not start with the person who offended you. Forgiveness started with Jesus on the cross who forgave you. Because of what Jesus did for us, how can we not forgive anybody in our hearts? We must. When we forgive, it releases the offense. And I know some of you are saying, you don't know what this person did. They may have done something horrific. They may have done something so awful. But that thing that has been so awful, been done in your life to you, should not control you. And when you forgive, you release that control that is over you this morning. We must forgive. The depth of forgiveness 
They needed repeating over many times. And sometimes the forgiveness, it unpacks over the long haul. But listen, this is what happens when forgiveness begins to be lived out in our lives. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. When we forgive, it allows us to honor people, even when they're being dishonorable to us. Romans 12, 10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Now, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean complete restoration, but it allows us to be cordial. It allows us to be kind. It allows us, listen, if you're in the grocery store and you want to knock someone out, or maybe you did knock somebody out, I can tell you right now you haven't forgiven them, all right? It allows you to be cordial. As someone who is made in God's image, who's busted just like you, allows you not to tear that person apart in private even. It allows grace to lead the day. And when you forgive, it can make possible restoration through reconciliation. And that's the third point, is that forgiveness is commanded and we are to reconcile if possible. People often confuse forgiveness and reconciliation as the same thing. They are not. Forgiveness may only be a one-way street. You can forgive somebody even if they don't forgive you, even if they're, they can be dead and you can forgive somebody. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It requires nothing from the offender, whereas reconciliation must be a two-way street. Reconciliation only occurs when there has been, number one, a repentance of sin. As the offending person seeks to repent of sin, uh, they cannot dictate how the other person they're repenting to will act. When one, re- when one repents, they stop the offending actions and they verbalize their sorrow for it. So if somebody says they repent and they continue to gossip or they continue to harm, uh, they, they're not living in a spirit of repentance. They can't keep doing it. They can't be nice to your face but then backbiting behind your back. There is no reconciliation without saying you're sorry and ceasing from your ways. Repentance is key. Secondly, when there is repentance, there needs to be boundaries. There needs to be boundaries for a time. Boundaries are put in place so that trust may be rebuilt if possible. It may be, uh, and listen, here's the deal. Some of you are thinking situations in your life where I was in a, uh, I was in a situation where I was being physically harmed. I was in, listen, here's the deal. Those boundaries says, it's, it has a padlock on, say, hey, you know what? I forgive you, but we, we cannot do life, okay? There's situations like that, okay? But in regular day-to-day situations uh, where there's restoration, boundaries are put up so that time can heal wounds, And so in most situations, the equation goes like this. Time plus grace brings healing. But time and grace won't bring healing if there's not repentance. So reconciliation is the last step, the fruit of a spirit of forgiveness. But what happens when somebody isn't reconciling and they still stir things up or divisive with non-gospel things? Uh, You're to forgive, forgive, and forgive them and pray for them and, and, and love them. But Paul gives Titus a very specific uh, instruction. He says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 8. He says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, and quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable, they are worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning, he is self-condemned. 
This is a warning from Paul to his student Titus. If someone is set on their way of being divisive, their agenda, uh, here's the deal. He's saying you need to avoid them. Why? Because when you're sitting with them, their agenda is to be a slow drip uh, into their bitterness. Paul says, avoid that person that has strayed from the gospel and fights over non-essential issues. Now, I want you to know that not only was there forgiveness with my dad, but over time, over about a time of a decade, there has been restoration. My dad loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. And he is painfully aware of the decisions that he made and the ramifications of what those decisions made. But he loves Jesus. He's active in his church. He disciples men uh, today. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it happened over time. It happened with boundaries. It takes time. I mentioned this before. We are even able to go on our first fishing trip in about 20 years last year. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. It's possible. And God lays out very clearly how to do it. So we need to address the hurt with God first. Forgiveness is commanded. Reconcile if possible. And amongst all of that, no matter where you're at in the process, stay on mission at all times. Acts 1.8 says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Satan will try to break down uh, relationships in your family, in your marriage, between friends, even in the church, to take you off the main thing. He doesn't care that if you're, you know, you're, you're, how you feel or, or what you're doing or not doing, that's not essential. The essential thing that, that Satan wants to do is he wants to take you off mission. That's his key. He wants you on the, on the side of the highway with a flat tire never to go down that road again. Satan says focus on drama. Win the battles. Score more goals. Jesus says focus on on him. The gospel is our answer to every broken marriage, to every wayward child, to every broken friendship, to any relationship that, is, that needs mended or wounded. And you may not experience restoration uh, to reconciliation, but you still have a message that when received will reconcile people to God. And you need to understand that as the drama goes about in life, and there will always be drama, all you have to do is watch the, the five o'clock news and know that this world is full of drama. But listen, as the world is full of drama and brokenness, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been entrusted with the message that changes everything, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the gospel that was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Stay on point no matter how crazy life gets in your marriage, with your kids, with your friends, at your work, wherever it is. Stay on mission Always be reflective of yourself and how you need the gospel. Understand uh, that, that you are a sin, that you sin as well. Uh, understand that when people wrong you, you begin to pray for them first. You forgive them always. You look for restoration if possible. And you always stay on mission. Always. So here's our take home. How can you stay on mission? Where do you need to be back on mission? So the how is, what do you need to do to get back on mission? 
Who is someone you are going to reach this week on mission? And it might not be like, oh man, I just I have to give a gospel presentation. No, you don't have to give a gospel presentation. You can. Like, who are you going to connect with? Who are you going to be that representation of Jesus? Remember what I said earlier. I said, you may be the only person that person is able to see that reflects Christ. Who is someone you're going to reach this week? Uh, let God speak to you on that. If you're like, I don't know, uh, ask the Holy Spirit. Oh, he'll let you know, and he'll make the way. All right? It's a dangerous prayer, all right? And number three, what hurt do you need to let go of? What hurt do you need to let go of? Maybe you need to start praying for those who hurt you. Maybe, maybe you need to forgive those who have hurt you. Maybe, maybe you're in a process of restoration. But here's the deal. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Restoration is a two-way street. And it's full of repentance. And it takes time. Let's let the Holy Spirit talk to us right now. And I want to talk to the person specifically too. Maybe your restoration needs to be with Jesus this morning. Maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in him. Well, today, you can be made right and restored with Jesus. You see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. He went to the cross when we were enemies of him. He forgave us. He offers that forgiveness. And when we receive that forgiveness we are reconciled because Jesus stands ready to reconcile with you right now. Have you been reconciled with Jesus? Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Again, Father, I just pray that anybody in this room right now that is far from you, they've never personally placed their faith and trust in you alone. They know they need reconciliation with you. Father, I pray they receive the free gift of salvation this morning. In fact, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, I want to continue to pray. As we continue to pray, I want to speak to anybody in this room. If you're uncertain you have a relationship with Jesus or you know you've never personally placed your faith and trust in him, I want you to know you can know right now, you can receive that reconciliation right now. This is how you do it. You acknowledge that you have sinned, that you've done wrong in this life. You acknowledge that there's nothing that you can do to make yourself right. You need the rescue of Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He stood in your place. When he was nailed to that cross, he saw every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is paid for. He died, but because he's a perfect sacrifice, he rose from the dead, defeating death. And now he wants to give you life, eternal life, by receiving the free gift he wants to give you right now. Will you do that? Just tell Jesus, I want to receive that free gift. Tell Jesus right now you want to place your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, you want to place your faith and trust, you want to say yes to Jesus, would you slip up your hand right now and say, that's me? That's me. Awesome. I see you back there. Awesome. Anybody else? Just raise that hand up high. Great. I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? Great. Father, thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. I just pray they would cry out to you right now. They would just pray in the quietness of their heart, saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. As we continue to pray, Father, I just pray for this entire church, Kenosha City Church, that we would be on mission always. That we would know that we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, may it flow out. Lord, I pray that you would give us a discerning spirit. 
when reconciliation isn't a two-way street. But no matter what, that we'd forgive always. We love you, Lord. And thank you that you can make the impossible possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.